0: I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. Today I'm going to talk to Dr. Glenn Geating from Hershey, Pennsylvania. He and his wife, Heather, started a church in Hershey with just their family in 2009. They had 20 people at their first service, and with no outside support, they grew their church to 60 members. They then hired a professional ministry couple, and now the church is over 100 members. Find out how this bivocational couple did it, on this episode of the Rob Skinner Podcast. Welcome back to the Rob Skinner podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Two things I'm really excited about going into the fall are the Flagstaff inaugural service on September 12th. Now, this recording is taking place on September 1st, so I just went up there yesterday with my wife Pam, and we talked over the details with the leaders, Brian and Abby Mackey. It's going to be an amazing service, and we're praying that over 250 people attend that first service, and I believe it's it's going to be just amazing. They, they're studying the Bible with people who want to become Christians by that time, and so it's God's working powerfully in that new church planting. So that's really firing me up. And then the second thing I'm really excited about is the CLIMB conference coming up in December. That's December 2nd through 5th, and I, I want to talk to you because sometimes you, you might think, oh, you know, that's just for church leaders. Now listen, if you're a grower— If you're a person who's young and wants to do missionary work in the future or thinks about leading in the future or you're leading a Bible talk or small group in a larger church, this could be so inspiring for you. It's going to be filled with people that are sold out for the kingdom of God who want to grow, who are growing their churches and finding ways to do it. The evening addresses are going to be amazing. Mufid and Jesse Tomei from Beirut, Lebanon are coming Jose, Josue Ortega, who's le- leading there in El Salvador in one of the most dangerous countries in the world and planting churches, sending out small churches is going to be leading one of the evening addresses along with Mufid. Todd Assad is preaching. I'll be doing one of the evening addresses. The Friday night session is going to be totally a Friday, Friday daytime session is totally geared towards helping you to be your best spiritually and to grow going into 2022, and it's filled with some top-notch ministry and uh, clinical professionals. Jennifer and Tim Summerlin, Kyle Spears, Joel Pede, all of them addressing issues that affect you as a leader and as a grower in the kingdom of God. Then on Friday, Joel Nagel's putting together an amazing program on how to get your church growing. He's going to be providing a full curriculum for you, and ideas and preaching style. And then John Lusk is going to be doing a preaching seminar. Kelsey Han, who's planted five churches in China is going to be doing one of the lessons. It's going to be an amazing weekend and it's going to be filled with so much encouragement. You're going to come away pumped up after a really challenging year. You're going to need this conference. So I want to ask you to please sign up, go to robskinner.com, look for the climb conference tab and register, register today. We, As of this recording, we've got 72 people already signed up. At our first conference, we had 125. We're approaching that number now. It's really exciting. I'm I'm just praying for God to continue to bless this conference because I really believe it helps people where they're at and encourages them. So look forward to seeing you in Dallas. Glenn, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Rob. It is so great to have you on here today. Can you tell me how you became a Christian?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was uh, in Los Angeles and in medical school at uh, USC, University of Southern California. And uh, in my uh, third year of medical school, uh, I was invited out to Bible talk by uh, another medical student in the class behind me. And um, uh, I was at a position where in my own life, uh, from a spiritual standpoint, and, and I would have considered myself a, a Christian at that point. But. If you took a superficial look at my life, it was obvious I was not, that I was not living a godly life. And and frankly, I was in the middle of a moral slide that over the course of a number of years that that morally I had uh, gone to more and more places that I kind of promised I would never go. Um, And uh, was invited out to a a Bible talk of medical professionals (laughs) in in Los Angeles and uh, was frankly really inspired that here were, uh, there was a group of uh people that that worked hard served medically and also served spiritually and um when we started studying the bible frankly i was very very difficult to study the bible with <laughs> i was awfully uh arrogant awfully defensive and uh just just tough i was argumentative and i appreciate the uh the the guys that study the bible with me and their patience um a time of radical, radical repentance in my life, uh, uh, radical change in a, uh, my relationships at that point and uh, my language, my behavior. And um, I was baptized January 18th, 1992. And if you do their math, that's a long time ago, almost 30 years. Wow. Um, yeah. So uh became a disciple then, uh, at part of the Los Angeles Church of Christ and, um, and really grew grew quickly. I think um, I, I got a chance to, to sing on a number of different forums there. And I'd already been singing kind of semi-professionally during that time, but to be able to learn to lead spiritually was a whole other uh, story. And I think a lot of my early growth was in humility, that uh, God had to work on me really hard to to teach me, first of all, to realize my arrogance and uh, to learn to value humility uh, over a number of years. How'd you meet your wife? Um so, while I was in medical school, the Air Force was paying for my medical school. Your tax dollars at work. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, as I concluded my four years, I did an internship there in Los Angeles in surgery, and then after that, the Air Force uh, took me in as a to do flight medicine, and they moved me to New Jersey, uh, in uh, kind of central New Jersey, uh, in the area where the Philadelphia Church had had a group there in South Jersey. So I became part of the Philadelphia the Greater Philadelphia Church of Christ. And my wife was there. And she she actually worked with the church at that time. So we were sort of introduced. Um, uh, There's a couple who, who led the church and I was speaking to both of them during that given week. They both kind of said, hey, you ever ask out uh, Heather Sechrist? I said, no, but it sounds like a good idea. And When I was speaking to him, she was actually in the room at that time. (laughs) She's like, who are you you talking to? (laughs) So When I I finally asked her out, she goes, yeah, Chris put you up to this. Mm -hmm. But she did say, okay, she was willing to go out. Um, So, but beyond that, it was uh, up to us. And uh, it's interesting, at the end of our first date, I asked her out again uh, for another month later. And and at the end of every date, I'd I'd, I'd ask her out again. So I, I definitely pursued her from day one.
0: That's, that's great. So th- when was that? What, what year was
1: that? Uh, well, we were married in 97 and it was 94 when I moved to Philly. So, um, early 96. 1996. Okay.
0: okay. She knew you're, were, you were already a doctor. That's, that's kind of, uh, but she was in the ministry. Right. Okay. So she, how did that work?
1: So and, and that's a great question. We have always been kind of a, unusual couple from a ministry standpoint and that when we were dating and engaged um i was a a physician in the military so i would spend about four months of every year overseas i got deployed a lot and um so dating was interesting and we spent you know a bit of time with you got nail and the defense service (laughs) lines hanging up on it periodically um you didn't even have you know video connections quite like we do now at that time. Boy, am I sounding old. Um, (laughs) and uh, she, uh, yet she still would continue to go out with me. And, um, so even when we got married, she got to the point where she had surrendered it realizing, well, you can't marry the ministry. And if Glenn's not in the ministry, I understand that, that I may not be, but she was so doggone good at it that she stayed in her position. And, um, we, we were an unusual couple because generally in our family of churches, you have a couple that right. serves together in the ministry. Right. And we did serve together in a small group, but she also stretched on to do a lot of other stuff while I was working and serving in the military. Um, and it, and it worked. Uh, in fact, a couple of years later I made it my goal for that year to support her to become a women's ministry leader. Wow. Um, and, and, um, didn't tweak my pride during it, I guess, because it was my goal to support her to do that. Uh, but uh, it worked. Now, fast forward another year and a half later after that, I got married. Um, I finished my residency and we started earning a good living. And uh, not a residence salary. And so we talked about this. And I said, you know, with a clear conscience, I don't think I can earn the salary and have you be paid by the church. So I'm. I feel great about you continuing to serve as you have been. It's been great. It's been very rewarding for both of us. Um, how do you feel about surrendering your salary? That way, they can hire somebody else.
0: Wow. And
1: she felt great about that. So we we surrendered her salary, and and um, frankly, that was the right thing to do for multiple reasons.
0: Hmm. So she's been working as a professional non-paid professional, but a professional women's ministry leader since that time?
1: Um, no, our life is more complex than that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) we are, you would say one abnormally born, I guess we do things differently, I guess. Um, she continued to serve until 2003. We had, uh, committed to go serve in Cambodia. Um, I had was asked, um, to serve at the start of a hospital in Cambodia in 96. And that was as a single guy in the military had lots of leave, So I took a month off and helped at the start of a hospital there in Phnom Penh. Right. And we were so inspired that we dreamed of going back. Mm. Um, and she even knew that when we got engaged, that part of the deal in saying yes to Glenn was that we'd likely end up overseas at some point. Um, which is a sign of her own pathology, I guess. But uh, so two, we had planned a 2003 to go serve in Cambodia, and um, so went there. At that point, we had three kids, three little kids, and um, the truth is, it proved to be just the right time for our family to go there. Um, we were able to hire a full-time nanny, which gave us a lot of help as parents, and Heather could serve there at that point part-time with the hospital. Um, in, in uh, public relations, and I served as a doc, uh, and administrator there in the hospital. So um, while she wasn't full-time in the ministry, we did serve in the ministry uh, and support the church there as well. Um, and then in 2005, we came back to the States.
0: Okay, so you came back in 2005. So you've got three kids. Um, can you tell me a little bit about them?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, our oldest is Max. He was born in 2000. So when we went to Cambodia, he was just three and a half. Uh, Corinne uh, was born a year and a half later, and then Madison a year and a half after that. And they are a blast. They're really a joy.
0: Max, Corinne, and? Madison. Madison. Okay. So you've got two bo- one boy and a- two girls? That's right. Okay. And, and they're disciples? Yeah. yeah okay. That, that's, that's really interesting. That's awesome. Now, so it's 2005. Where'd you get the idea, I'm going to start a church?
1: Uh, that more happened to us than was was our idea. Um, we came back, and uh, in, in 2003, there had been um, a bit of upheaval in our family of churches. Um, and the interesting thing is that, that I mean, us in surrendering Heather's salary a couple of years before that left us with a clear conscience. If somebody had issues financially, we're, we're like, we're doing this for free. So. Right, sure or feel, feel great about it. But so we we kind of missed a bit of that because we left to go serve overseas during that time. And in 05, we came back to, uh, I was offered a position in Hershey, Pennsylvania, um, near Harrisburg. And uh, we knew the church here before that time because we knew the couple that had started it. And uh, it was being led by a different couple at that time. So when we came back, we realized, wow, the, the church has really shrunk and, and is not doing well. Um, So we just said, well, okay, we're living here. Let's roll up our sleeves and let's help. We're free and and we can, you know, lead a small group and and song lead and do whatever needs to happen. So we, we committed to seeking to build up the church. And it took, I think, over the next four years, it became really clear. And I think truthfully from the leaders of the church, it wasn't really clear to them either. But it became clear over time that they really didn't want to be a part of our family of churches. Uh, and they didn't want to be disciples or be discipled, and uh, so we we realized that we were kind of um, just functioning our, under a different paradigm of what Christianity was. Mm-hmm. And uh, once that became very clear, uh, Heather and I had a rather frank talk. Like we we just we just have to go. This this is really staying in this situation is not going to be healthy for us or our kids. Um, and our kids at that point were raising ri- rising grade schoolers. And um, so we said, we've we just got to go, Heather. I mean, we got we to gotta call this. And uh, so we started talking about, well, where can we move? I said, well, I'm an ER doc. I can, I can get work just about anywhere. And my, my skill set is sought after, and we'll make a good living no matter where we go. And then she says, what if we, uh, what if we start a house church? I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. We better, we better get some advice about that. I do not want to create division. Uh, I don't want to take anything away uh, from, from what they're doing, but but I know that it's not healthy for us to remain there. Um, we better get advice. And and frankly, we sought advice from a lot of wise people who said, actually, it sounds like you're actually trying to create unity. You're trying to create a church that's unified with your <clears throat> brother and sister churches. And um, it, it sounds like the wise thing to do if you can manage it. And we we didn't feel the need to move. Uh Profession-wise, I was doing great. I'd just been promoted into a hospital-wide role, and uh, was was having fun serving both clinically and administratively in the hospital. Uh, our kids were doing great. The school district here is fantastic, and uh, you know, growing in their musical ability, and and uh, frankly, just doing really well in this community. And uh, we liked our home, so we didn't feel the need to move for that sake. And if if it could work out spiritually for us, uh, we we thought it was a good fit. And the advice we got you know we got a lot of support from philadelphia i mean we met with the eldership there and we said look we want to be wise we don't want to create division uh we certainly don't want to be sinful in, in starting something like this and uh they said well you've got all the support we're happy to administratively we'll meet all your needs from a administrative standpoint go for it so uh, it's, somebody even asked me uh, the week before we started and said, "How many people are coming? Who's coming Sunday?" <laughs> I'm like, "Well, I got a, I got a family of five. <laughs> I don't really know." And ends up, ends up, we had ten people there that were disciples, and ten of our friends. Wow. Service one in our living room here in Hershey, and um, from that very start, we met actually most of the summer in the park near us, and. Um, I just, the spirit had moved. I mean, God was doing magic. Um, one of the bigger things that happened was uh, my good buddy, Eddie Mays, who a lot of people know, um, just became a partner throughout this thing. And, and Eddie and I are about as different as two people get. I'm this kind of skinny, nerdy, intellectual white guy. And he's this big, buff, bald-headed, Boisterous black guy, <laughs> and and there was there was a magic in that symmetry, and we both could preach and we both could lead songs, so on a given Sunday, one of us would lead the worship, and the other would preach. Wow! And then we we'd usually uh, have a time of communion and then a time of really kind of open discussion of the lesson, and then we'd switch the next week, and and it worked, it just worked, and and God grew the ministry by the end of the next year we were twenty and. 30, 30 or so in the next year. And, and, uh, we expanded it over about six years to about 60 people. Um, God just blessed it between, you know, people being baptized and people moving in and, and, um, we did a number of weddings and, and just even a funeral and, uh, just fun, just joyful. Um, that's kind of how it evolved. It was, it was very organic.
0: So you started, you were, part of a church in Harrisburg and that's you were also living in Harrisburg
1: the area 20 minutes away in Hershey yeah.
0: okay okay and then that went on from t- 2005 to 2009 and you just decide okay this is not really working uh, we're not on the same page philosophically about church and things like that so you decide to start your own church you you kind of teamed up with Eddie Eddie Mays and over the next six years the church grew from a team of 10 essentially to, to 60 plus disciples.
1: And, and I would offer that, that I do not want to give people a license to just cowboy around and start your own house church. If, if there's stuff you got to work on in your church, I, this isn't something I'd recommend everybody go do. Because I've seen people do create division and create factions uh, by doing that. And, and we, we got a lot of advice before trying to, to entertain this idea.
0: How did you avoid that?
1: Um, well, I, I, we intentionally said that we didn't want to take anything away from from the church that was there um, and didn't strive to do that. Um, we just wanted to build fresh.
0: So you stayed in the same area, even though you're nearby that other church. Right. And so how was the departure from that other church? Was there a lot of acrimony or?
1: Yeah, it was it was difficult. Um, there was some uh, a few nasty Graham emails that flew around, um, and but we just simply kind of, you know, with, I think with a clear conscience, we're trying to do what was right, um, and striving to build unity um, within the family of believers. I think that's what we're trying to do.
0: Okay, so what was your plan going into this? I, 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 I what one thing that uh, stands out immediately? You can preach. Plus you can lead song. Now that's kind of a a huge superpower right there. And you've got a buddy who can do both. So that's really nice. So you don't have to preach every single week. You've got a kind of a partnership going. That's, that's handy. What else was your plan?
1: Yeah, you're right. It does. uh, Actually, that wasn't part of my plan initially, but it does pay to have a right-hand guy that is talented. And, um, I wouldn't say we had that much of a plan. We just knew we were going to start a house church. Okay. We just like said, "Well, that's what we're doing. Let's see how it goes." And we got lots of advice. Yeah. Um, but I, I, we didn't initially start out with as much of a plan. And a lot, we spent a lot of time initially meeting with the church, saying, "Okay, this is your church. What do you want it to look like?" Mm-hmm. And in fact, we would meet at service, going, "This is your time of worship. What do you want to do to worship?" And we were flexible enough uh, song leaders that people could literally kind of say, hey, let's sing this song or let's do this. And and we could we could sing most of the things we needed to do. Um, So we actually were fairly granola, in fact, mockably so. um, Initially, (laughs) to the point where it it kind of gelled and solidified into something we were fairly used to having in terms of format for a service and what the church looked like, dividing into into small groups uh, as we grew. Um, but we did have a very, very kind of flexible, um, consensus-driven approach. Okay,
0: so you got people's opinions. What, what did those early services look like? Can you just kind of run through a, a, a program for Sunday?
1: Yeah, um, actually, they were really fun. Uh, initially, meeting in the park, we, we had all kinds of stuff. And we would intentionally leave our time of worship fairly flexible, saying, it's a small group. This is your time of worship. I've got a few songs planned that we could do, but we're very flexible. What do you want to do with your time of worship? If you've got something you want to say, say it. If you have a prayer you want to lead, pray it. If you have a scripture you want to share, share it. And if you have songs you want to do, let's do them. And most of the time it was people requesting that we do a certain song. Um, And like I said, Eddie and I were, you know, flexible enough that we could do that. We usually start out with a song of our planning, have a couple in our back pocket. But we would do whatever the church wanted to sing in our time of worship. And then after a few songs, um, uh, the one that was preaching that week would get up and give a lesson for, you know, 25 minutes or so. We'd serve communion. We'd have a, a communion prayer. And uh, often we'd be, still be, we'd sit in a circle and just uh, share about what, the, what, what impacted us, what we learned from the lesson. Uh, so like I said, it was fairly granola um, and fun. And in fact, we still do that as we meet with our house church once a month. It is roughly that format, where a, a fairly open time of worship, uh, a lesson, communion, and a, a time of open discussion.
0: Okay, how did you manage your time leading a church and working as an emergency room doctor?
1: Uh, I've always been pretty carefully at managing, pretty careful at managing time, um, uh, probably as long as I can remember, um, and and frankly, like a full life. I found that even as we've moved that that I fill up my schedule pretty quickly, and fortunately, my schedule is pretty flexible. That when I'm work, when I'm on clinically, I'm on. I, I don't I don't have time to take phone calls when I'm running an ER, but when I'm off, I'm off. That's one thing I like about emergency medicine. Um, and and there it is a fairly flexible schedule. Um, during that time, actually, I was serving administratively as well and growing in administrative complexity. So I had a my joke was that my job was about 50% clinical about no i'm sorry forgive me my joke was it's about 60% clinical and about 60% administrative <laughs> so you know, a lot of demands but but there was flexibility i made use of the time i had off and and my family was worked around it and and you know still prioritized time to have a date with with at least one kid a week so we got one on one face to face time and a date with heather i i actually fairly Fiercely protected Saturday, uh, Friday afternoons. That I would go in the morning and serve, get my clin- uh, administrative stuff done. But in the afternoon, uh, you know, our administrative assistants knew not to mess with that time. So our date was was uh, Fridays at noon.
0: Wow. Okay. So, along with that, my da- my daughter works in the ICU, and I mean, the stories she tells are just hair raising. Yeah. How do you compartmentalize what you're seeing in an emergency room? leave it behind, and then just go on and just work in, in the church? I mean, that's got to be really challenging.
1: Um, yeah, there definitely is some compartmentalization going on. I One of the blessings of this position is we, we live three miles away from the hospital by design, and there's a bike trail between us and there. So most of my commutes were by bicycle. So I, I get my exercise in, and that was a fairly good time to clear my head. And even in the middle of the night, I would I would bike with lights up the trail, and by the time I came in the door, I could I had processed enough that I could I could hit the ground running at home. Um, but on the other hand, um, I, I think the two don't need to be compartmentalized that much. I don't think there's this dividing line between the secular and the spiritual in terms of work and and service. And in fact, your work should be service to God. So the lessons I learned in the hospital certainly played in my spiritual life and uh, certainly give me conviction. I mean, we, we declare people dead a fair amount of the time, but that certainly gives one a lot of conviction that our life is short right? and we should use this precious time carefully.
0: Okay. So that, that's, that's pretty impressive. Like, I don't know. I don't think I could do that, but that's amazing. Like, in terms of reach, let's just—I want to kind of divert here for a second. Reaching professionals in the medical field, how do you do it? Like you—you you obviously were reached. I think there's another guy in our church um, named John, and he was a dentist. For, went to USC, I believe. Um, oh, good. But how, what's the, what's the key to reaching medical professionals?
1: Well, I, I, I'm not sure if I have a blanket answer to that. They're human beings. Um, I think as someone is not being afraid of them. Uh, medical professionals are human beings, just like everybody else, and they have sin. And just like anybody else. Now, I, I would argue that um, we can be more prideful. So it, uh, it, it does take a certain amount of humility, I guess, to be able to work through that. And a lot of patience. I know I required a lot of patience with the guys that study the Bible with me. Mm-hmm. Um, But I don't know if reaching a medical professional is that different from anybody else. I think you probably need to be willing to be flexible time-wise. Right. The schedule, you know, Mm -hmm. can only meet certain times, but we're human beings. Okay.
0: Like in terms of leading your family, like, like, were you getting any sleep during this time? I mean, (laughs) you're, you're trying to keep a marriage together. Your, your three kids are now disciples. That's, that's awesome. That's amazing. Um, how did you how did you balance all that? I, I think there's a lot of people that are. I'm I'm certainly inspired and would like to do something like that. But they go, how did you, how do you balance all that?
1: Uh, I I guess the life of a disciple is imbalanced. You know that there's a certain amount of, um, you know, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength that by definition is imbalanced. Um, but you're right, trying to uh, make sure I didn't slack on my needs as a dad or as a husband uh while committing significant time to the ministry and, and frankly to work was important funny there came a time after a couple of years of, of leading the church and it was growing and, and doing well um, that i felt like i was falling short in these every one of these important areas of my life and i i went back to kind of the the stakeholders the people i served in all those areas and said so So how's Glenn doing? And so I went to, you know, our chair and people at at the administrative people that that, uh, oversaw me. I said, so how am I doing? And I did the same thing with my family, with the kids and Heather. So how am I doing at at, at serving you? And and then I went to my, you know, fellow servants in the church and said, how am I doing at serving you? And the answer I got back from all three spheres was, oh, we think you're doing great. Uh, You know, thanks and, and appreciate what you're doing. And, uh, and we might ask for a little more of this. Each one had a few other requests, but I realized I wasn't falling short quite as much as I thought I was. Mm. Um, and I realized in, in leaving the church that I just, I just had to be good at delegating. Mm. Um, you know, I had to let, let Bible Talk leaders lead their groups. And, uh, and I was there to serve them in doing that, but, but I let them do their thing. And um, so I had to delegate. And mm-hmm. it, it, frankly, it was healthier for us. Does that answer your question? Yeah. How, how do you
0: work out discipling with a tight schedule? Oh,
1: that's a good question. I I realize I can't disciple every person in the ministry. And, but I, I think frankly, uh, it's really important to have everybody involved in a discipling relationship. Um, Now, I, I can't say we're perfect at doing that, but I think we do better spiritually if we have somebody else we're pouring ourselves out into. So if I tried to take on all the discipling, that would be just foolish. Um, and there are a few things that Heather and I really like to do, like premarital counseling. We love that. That's just fun. So we often would kind of intentionally take that on. But uh, we'd have to schedule carefully. And, and that means coordinating well with Heather and, and stuff. But we had flexibility enough to, to be able to work out good uh, discipling times.
0: Would you rely on Heather pretty pretty much? She, she Obviously, she had experience in professional ministry. I, I know that when I worked as a realtor starting our own church, it was really handy. I asked Pam actually to step out of working so that she could kind of handle a yeah. lot of the administrative stuff and, and communication with the church. I, how did that work out in your partnership with
1: Heather? Well, Heather is just a fantastic ministry leader. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's really, really good at what she does. And frankly, way more uh, humble and, and functional than I am, I think. And she she says that her role is to uh, quote make the magic happen. So, so, and and that's that's what she did. I mean, she filled in so much uh, of the gap that I would leave behind at home and ministry and other stuff that that uh, uh, I mean, she's just been a joy as a partner. Well, she's the best.
0: We have a connection because. Someone you converted there by the name of Felipe uh-huh. moved, moved to Tucson last year, ended up asking my daughter to marry him. And I i made the connection probably four or five, six months ago that you studied the Bible with Felipe. Can you just tell me a little bit about how all that happened in that family becoming, a, you know,
1: Yeah, that was one of the most inspiring stories. And Felipe, by the way, is one fantastic young man. I think you're going to enjoy having him as an extended part of your family. He's just just a winner. Um, uh, That family was incredible. And uh, we got a call out of the blue from Diana, the mother of this family. And their story was that they had uh, become disciples. She had been a part of a missions team. Uh, She's Puerto Rican by birth and was in New York and agreed to be part of a missions team to uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil. And Dacio had been one of the very early uh, converts to to discipleship there. Um, And he had made the decision to go. He was an engineer. He made the decision to go uh, into the ministry full time. So he married Diana. Smart move. I think she was madly in love with his calves. She liked his (laughs) legs, But... <laughs> but, and they, they served there in Sao Paulo in Chile in Argentina and I think their boys were born in very different countries um, as they were you know leading different ministries that came back to Sao Paulo and then in 2003 they had a, a big upheaval in the church there and they were abruptly let go from the ministry with a thousand dollars in their pocket and um, it really hurt their faith so they um, they limped their way back to. Uh, New York and lived in her sister 's basement for a while. Um, then they made their way out closer to this area, and she eventually ended up through a, a series of connections calling us and uh, asking if they could worship with us we said sure we'd we'd love to have you come visit and so we uh, we got to know them well and From that time, dossier and I started having breakfast together every couple of weeks and really just getting to know him. Um, one of the interesting things that evolved was um, as we were speaking, he he said, uh, "I will never preach again. I will never study the Bible with somebody again because those kind of things hurt people." And um, so, at the end of breakfast, we typically pray together and meet again in a couple of weeks. Uh, so, so Dacio and Diana had been been wounded, and they had had some really really hard stuff that they'd they'd weathered. Anyway, their boys were becoming teenagers and and growing in their own level of faith, and and so they started studying the Bible. And I believe Felipe was the first of their boys to become a disciple. And interesting, each one of their boys in their time would start studying the Bible and then run away. <laughs> they, they got halfway through, and they each had their own bump. They, they had to, it's what they had to do, and they they ran away. But uh, within a couple of months, they'd come back and say, "No, I really want to study the Bible." And and uh, Felipe, I think, was he's their middle son, but he, he tends to be the first to do stuff. But uh, he he became a disciple and. Here we were in their, advanced a couple of years, here we were in their living room in Lebanon, Pennsylvania, and there's about 20 teenagers there, and they're all having dinner and just goofing around and getting ready for Bible talk, and it's such a fun ministry that just, it's growing, and and Dan is studying the Bible, and and, uh, they're just doing great, and like, kids are just showing up. And Dacio sidles up next to me, and he goes, "Look at what God's doing here."
0: Mm.
1: I said, "Man, it's amazing." And he goes, "You know, this somehow makes the last seven years all worth it." Wow. And you know, and at that point, Dacio had was getting ready to preach his first lesson and and teach again and lead, and how God had restored their faith was just remarkable just remarkable. And all three of their boys over the next few years were baptized and, and they're doing great. I mean, you, actually you've you convinced them all to move out to Tucson. <laughs> you,
0: you know, that I was not recruiting anybody, but th- somehow the spirit led them out here. And, uh, you know, it's, it's an amazing story. And they, they just speak so highly of you about how you would have them over. You guys would play guitar, play music. Mm-hmm. Music's a big part of their family and you know they just love that and they just adore absolutely adore you and and oh. respect you so highly
1: well we had some very fun very random jam sessions <laughs> you that. very fun and their boys learn to play music in, in their own respect it's kind of fun so glenn
0: how did you make the leap from a self-supporting model where you're working preaching on sundays to a professionally led church that's that's usually a really tricky part of church leadership. I know it was for me when I was leading the church because you get caught in a trap. I mean, for me, it was like, okay, we're too big for me to just handle it all by myself, but at the same time, too small to really pull in a, a full-time professional, the salary-wise. So it really gets into kind of a dangerous no-man's land of, uh, of challenge there. So can you walk 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 me through that? Particular. Well, I
1: would say that, um, you know, from helping oversee the board at that point, because we had we had established a board and uh, financially the church was doing great because we, we had very few expenses. <laughs> you know, I, the, Heather and I didn't take a salary, so it allowed the church, frankly, to have savings enough that it had a year's worth of expenses in the bank. Um, so it was time to hire a minister for several reasons. One, um, the church was frankly outgrowing our ability to keep up with it and still be tent makers. Uh, I felt like uh, I was, I was falling short in meeting the needs of people the way that I would like to. Um, I was experiencing a degree of burnout, uh, you know, from, from just the many, many uh, uh, demands that were going on. And it was time for me to throttle back a little bit. And it got to the point where I was asking for help. So I talked with uh, particularly Walter Evans, but the eldership in, in Philadelphia and other friends saying, Hey, I think it's time to recruit a full, full-time couple to lead the church. And and I don't think that's me. I, I think I'm a better tent maker than I would be a paid minister. And I think that kind of suits my conscience better. It would be hard for me to accept a paycheck from the church. Uh, and I, I don't know if that's pride or if that's what that is, but I, I feel much more clear in my conscience uh, to be a, a, an unpaid servant, an unpaid pastor. And um so the our, our family of churches, the American Commonwealth Region, as, as a as a group, uh, you know, I kind of put out the 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 uh, notice that we were looking for a full time people per uh, full time couple, and frankly, they wrapped their arms around that. I mean, uh, multiple leaders. Uh, uh, look to see who was a good couple to take on the role. And ultimately, the, the suggestion was for Alan and Kendra Abelita uh, to, to consider the position. Now, the fun thing about it was that um, Eddie Mays and I, in the course of leading the church, we said, well, we don't really know what we're doing. We're, we're untrained goofballs. And, you know, we signed up and we have some skills, but we really have a lot to learn. So we signed up to do the, um, the ministry training academy that the American Commonwealth region was running, which were really good. Uh, This was, you know, preparative reading and some writing, uh, and then a weekend worth of coursework. And I would block the time off, Eddie and I would travel down for what (laughs) one of my friends called preacher camp. And uh, we'd go down and take coursework and and it was really very well done. Uh, Old Testament review, New Testament review, uh, expository preaching, et cetera, really good models. and, And I completed the whole course. Um, Eddie was pretty close to completing it and during that one time we were down in Virginia Beach and we actually went to to dinner and took one of his old friends out to lunch um, while we were doing this course and Alan was also taking the same courses. So the the relationship was already there with Eddie and was building with me before the suggestion even came up of, hey, you want to consider taking on this role. Now for Alan, uh, Alan was an IT professional and uh, his wife Kendra was a teacher. And they had been very fruitful as tent makers there in Virginia Beach, had led a singles ministry toward really wonderful growth and uh, some great marriages that came out of it. And and so they had been very effective, but had dreamed of being in the full-time ministry. And Alan had served in the ministry before as well. So um, it was just the right time for them. And they had the faith to go for it. Um, And uh, Alan, probably one of the hardest things for him is he's a surfer. And to move to central Pennsylvania, where there isn't a beach within two hours of where we are, <laughs> it took a bit of self-denial. Now, I wonder if we could drive him away. <laughs> I, think I think we've captured their hearts, and they've been here now for six years. Um, that transition, it, we had to be very intentional in it, uh, prepare the church uh, for a full-time ministry couple, and, and we had to really build them up very publicly. And realize that it is, it is my role to be a great right hand guy, and make sure that they have everything they need. And it also was our role to, to, to shepherd them, to help them with their kids, to help them uh, in, in taking on this new role. And uh, they got decided from a number of different directions, including Dacio and I. So we've we've formed and really it took us a while to cement it, but uh, a, a group where the Maraises and the Geetings and the Abilitas, uh, you know, meet regularly just to disciple each other and, and lead this church effectively. But it's become a good group that every once in a while we circle the wagons and have to really uh, really talk about tough issues. But uh, it's proven to be a very powerful uh, team.
0: I don't know of too many other situations where the the past leader stays in in place while you have a new leader walk in. That typically causes a lot of conflict, conflict. Um, Form, you know, current members typically gravitate toward the previous leader, or else they head toward the new leader and, you know, say, "Oh my gosh, you're you're the savior. Things are so much better now that we've got you." And it can it can cause a lot of conflict. How did you navigate that?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I think um, we didn't see too much of that. I we got we definitely got behind the Abuelitas. And supported them both privately and publicly uh, to make sure that the church knew they were leading the church, and 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 really helped coach them to be effective in building consensus. Um, and, and it hasn't been entirely easy. It's taken some work for them to step into the role and and preach more effectively. And. And, uh, but, but they've owned it. They've, they've also done the hard work of building the relationships with people. And the truth is they added a lot more stuff that we didn't have, including building a campus ministry and building a singles ministry that we weren't as good at. So um, I, I I don't know, it's proven that we, we intentionally made it a collaboration. We intentionally made sure we were a team and intentionally got behind them. And they've done a great job of stepping into the gap that we left behind, that, that there were things that we fell short in um, because uh, we could only be one place at one time and uh, perhaps because of our our leadership weaknesses, but they've done a nice job. I haven't seen the church play sides like that because we didn't do that. And um, uh, I I think we all realized that we had strengths and weaknesses. And it's interesting that like Eddie and I, that there were significant differences in our personalities, but that proved to be a strength that we could bolster each other where, where we were weaker. Uh, It's the same with Alan and myself, that we're just very different human beings. Uh, but that's not a bad thing. I think God does that. God puts people together that have very different strengths and often with good reason.
0: How did you deal with feelings like, well, I, I wouldn't do it that way when you have someone else in the driver's seat and you're in the back seat and they're they're doing things differently than perhaps you choose? How do you, how do you wrestle through those feelings in, in a godly way?
1: Yeah, we had a few times where that would come up. I think, um, fortunately, the Abuelitas also were pretty humble. And that they'd approach us going, hey, how would you approach this this challenge? Or are we coming up with a big leaders meeting? What do you think? Um, and indeed, that our, our um, style in leading the church was kind of fairly uh, consensus driven. And we strive to make decisions as a group. And in fact, the Abuelitas weren't used to that style as much. So we would kind of coach them going, hey, you know, when coming planning for this year, a good approach that we've had is to open it up to the group and saying, so we have this next year coming up. What do you want to do with it? We we have the opportunity for a couple of campaigns, uh, any topics you'd like to take on. Uh, We'd like to study in expository fashion through some scripture, any particular books you'd like to go after. And I would usually come to the meeting with some ideas in my head but very open to what people suggest and what the group would decide to get behind and and i think frankly that's a pretty effective way to lead a church that that you've got people who have needs and they know their needs better than I, i'm not a mind reader and and i want them to come forward with like we really want to grow in this in fact it was interesting very early in the church before the Abilitas. i said what do you want to do for a campaign this year and the church said we'd really like to study the spirit I said, wow that sounds fantastic let's do that. And we read a book together. We had a series of lessons on the spirit and, um, and really focused on the, the the spirit moving. And the next year came up, we said, so we can do whatever you want with the campaign. What do you want to do? And the church said, we want to study the spirit again, <laughs> <So we laughs> studied a different book on the spirit. And, and but it, it showed that the, the church definitely wanted to be spiritual led by God and, and, um, I don't know god led god guided um and it, it proved to be very it was lovely frankly i think it was the right time uh to to focus on god's spirit and submit to god's spirit uh in terms of bringing repentance bringing i don't know a, a, a spiritual thinking and um so we we worked with the evangelists to be collaborative in their approach that and not i mean they 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 had led the ministry some but not led a church and to, to help them to uh, achieve consensus so we can move together as a group.
0: How big is the church now?
1: Um, it, it last count, it was over a hundred. Wow. Um, and I say that with a but, it's, it's the end of a, a you know coronavirus pandemic. So we're working time to recircle the wagons and regroup and, and uh, see who is a disciple and who's not. So I have a feeling a more formal count uh, will be a lower than a hundred but, uh, probably around a hundred triple digits,
0: but that's amazing. I I mean, that's such an incredible achievement to get your church from your family and 10 to a hundred people. That's,
1: that's awesome. You know, God gets credit for that. Mm. I mean, we, we did our best, but I, I I mean, we're just kind of, my sensation during this has been like, I'm, I'm kind of in a kayak paddling down a river. And it's it's the the scenery is interesting and exciting, and there are some rapids and some bumps and and but the river is doing most of the work, and I'm paddling some. Yes, I'm doing my part, but but this was God's spirit doing the work of this one.
0: With all the the transferring around the country, the uh, COVID led inspired like redistribution of people going different places all over the country. How do you how can mm-hmm. this model that you've used? Be used in other locations
1: uh I, actually I, I would expand on your question if you don't mind i would say that how do we continue to plant and grow churches throughout the world to make disciples effectively and i would argue that if we're waiting for paid ministers to evangelize this world we're going to be waiting forever it's not going to happen Now, now there is a rule. I don't want to take anything away from a full-time paid minister. It is a very biblical concept and very important um, that, you know, don't muzzle the ox while treading the grain. Yes. On the other hand, Paul very intentionally served as a tent maker and said, who can deprive me of this most? That he worked free of charge and was more effective because of that. So I think if we're going to evangelize the bergs of this nation and the bergs of this world, we have to empower tent makers to do it. So it's not a a kind of neat one-off model. It's a very biblical concept. In fact, let me share a scripture. um, uh, Ephesians 4, in verse 11, it says, So Christ himself gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. So, so these are roles that Jesus gave us, right? Verse 12, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So the role of a professional minister is not to do the ministry, is to equip everybody else to do the ministry. And it's a really important concept that we get that there is not a clergy laity division there is not this professional ministers that are are supposed to go and do the evangelism and then everybody else kind of pays their tithe and sits back and relaxes we are either all disciples or we have a problem
0: okay so i'm i'm 100 on board with that 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 way of thinking what Along with that, what do you see as the biggest need in our family of churches right now?
1: Wow. Um, Well, I I would argue that it may be that. It may be to have a mindset of equipping every disciple to be, uh, you know, to lead in whatever capacity they can. And we understand that the majority of people will still be working to support their family, but to empower uh, tent makers to lead ministries that the role of the full-time leaders is to equip and empower people to be disciples, to give them the tools it takes to study the Bible with people to lead their groups effectively. And uh, so we really need to empower people. And if we start breaking into a clergy laity mindset, that will spell shrinking our churches and a, a uh, it'll severely impair our impact on the world. If we can empower tent makers to go and make disciples Which was what Jesus did. uh, Then we're going to be very effective worldwide. Right.
0: I'm I'm all on board with that. I'm absolutely. I mean, you know, you're preaching to the choir here on that one, Glenn. That's (laughs) that's amazing. But you think about what's happening, like in the Philippines. That's exactly what they're doing. They're sending people out to the province. They reach someone will go back out to the province, reach out to their family, convert like a family cord, maybe some friends, and then they'll send out a professional or part-timer later on after the core has been built. And it's a great model and Philippines is exploding with growth and that's happening in other parts of the world. But I feel like this is the time for the US with with COVID and people moving all over the place, a lot of people moving to very remote locations and yet they're left with a decision. Do I just survive, live Mm -hmm. on Zoom or do I start something right now? any advice to those who are thinking ooh, maybe maybe i should get something started how would how would a person know that
1: well i, I you know i heard it said when i was a, a young disciple that you know when a disciple goes someplace the church starts mm-hmm. and you saw that with the ethiopian eunuch and very early in the church in acts 8 i believe um and the church started there in ethiopia that that i think if if god moves a disciple somewhere then the church should begin if, if they're a disciple because mm-hmm. the goal of a disciple is to make disciples um now i understand that not everybody may have the flexibility or skill set uh to completely lead a church i get that but nonetheless we should be engaged in making disciples and meeting the needs of the people around us mm-hmm. to the best of our ability right. and one would hope that if god has moved a disciple to a given place that they would at least strive to build a ministry in that place, build a Bible talk, connect with a local church, you know, and house church is not rocket science. It doesn't take an advanced degree in theology. Right. I uh, know. To lead a house church. It's
0: so true. It, you know, it's not, it's not that confusing. You just, you just stay the Bible with people, meet on Sundays, you know, meet on, it's really not that confusing. It's a little disorienting. It's, it's out of your comfort zone. One, one barrier that holds many people back is, oh, but I don't want to, I don't want to do that because my kids, I want them to be part of a, a larger campus or, you know, teen ministry or, or children's ministry. What would you say to that person? How, do you, and how'd you manage your family?
1: Well, that's a good question. I think it's interesting. One of our motives to start this house church was for the sake of our kids,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that that we, we couldn't stay where we were because our kids were, we going to flounder. Um, and, and, frankly they were excited to be part of this growing ministry when we were meeting in the park we had time for the kids we called it puppets in the park we would stretch a blanket out between trees and we had these puppets kind of you know building out this this kids lesson of brief and and hilarious frankly we were we were awful we were just the worst puppeteers but, but we had a lot of fun doing it um but if anything part of our motive to do this was for our kids that we wanted them to be faithful and to see faith walked out, um, and to be unafraid. And I think it has had probably the right impact on our kids. But you're right. Uh, is being a part of a teen ministry necessarily better for kids? I don't know. We'd have to see the data around that. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I haven't seen the data to support that being a part of a teen ministry is necessarily correlate with long-term faithfulness. Right. Um, I can tell you one thing. They did a survey of small groups. And the, the growth of a small group does not really correlate well with how much effort the leader puts into a lesson, it does correlate with how much time that leader spends praying for their group. Wow, that's all right. I have to, you know, I'm, I'm a nerd. I have to speak about some survey every time I speak.
0: Yeah, I'd love to 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 find out where you're reading that. I know that Kai Foster in Reno does a lot of prayer, spends hours in prayer for his ministry, and so i i can I can understand that. Would you do this again?
1: If if oh, absolutely. If I could walk through this again, I would totally do it again. This has been an exciting ride and fun and fulfilling in, in every fashion. Yes, there have been bumps and challenges, but but boy, I, I've come out with my faith stronger and happy and healthy. Um, my, our marriage is doing great. That I would absolutely do it again the same way. What would you do differently? What would you do differently? I don't know. I think the the way it played out was pretty healthy. We we've been mocked because we were pretty granola. We were we were, you know, kind of very collaborative in our leadership model. But I think that was the right model for us and for the time and for the people we led. Um, but uh, <laughs> you know, some of our friends make fun of us for it. Um, and I think it was just, you know, God's hand and good fortune that we had the the partners in the ministry that we've had. Mm.
0: What are your, what are your plans for the future?
1: Um, you know, it's interesting you ask that and I, I am open at this point. I'm, I'm 52 and as an emergency physician, you know, God has blessed us financially. Thank God. And we've saved well over years. So we are soon in a position where we're entirely self-supporting again, and I won't need to work clinically. Um, in fact, I'm working clinically, frankly, cause I like doing it, um, and I think my next horizon is probably about 55. And I don't know. I have to see what God calls us to do. And we're open to, you know, returning overseas and serving. We're open to uh, leading a church planting. Uh, we One of my long-term goals is to serve as an elder. And uh, we hope to see that happen in the next year or two. But it depends on a lot of the circumstances. I don't influence the title. I influence the kind of guy I want to be, if that makes sense to you. Right so i i uh god has not placed a very specific calling on us at this point and we'll have to see where he leads us in the next few years but we're going to be in a position where we're going to be pretty flexible because we now have as of you know last week a relatively empty nest with with our youngest going away to college
0: yeah that's exciting boy new stage of life we have a, a, the CLIMB Small Church Leadership Conference coming up in Dallas. I re- would really like to invite you to come and share good news from what you've been doing. Do you think you can make it in early, in early December?
1: Yeah, I think we're going to be able to do that. I just bounced off my wife, and uh, I think we'll make some time for it. That's
0: great. It's I, have going to, to, I
1: have to arrange my schedule for December soon.
0: That's great. December 2nd through 5th in Dallas. It's going to be an amazing time. We've already got over 70 people signed up for it. It's going to be a phenomenal weekend together. In closing Glenn, any advice for a person who wants to make this life count?
1: Uh, some of the realization I guess I've had from being fairly young I mean as a as a young man becoming a physician um, I've, I've watched a lot of people die and it gives me great conviction that this life is very short and um, even very young I set out written specific long-term goals, and, uh, and Heather even bought into that when, when we got married, that, that um, I just realized that life is very short and I want to make every day count and want to make the most of the relationships I'm given and the, the place I am and I want to blossom where I'm planted. So life is short, I guess, realize that and, and uh, you know, let God use you. Uh, God has given you talents for a reason and he's invested resources in you for a reason. And God also expects to see a return on those investments and see you grow that and double it. And, um, I don't know, that's pretty scriptural.
0: Well, thank you so much for your time, Glenn. It's been great to have you on the program. Thanks for the time. Thank you so much for joining the Rob Skinner podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, please hit the subscribe button and let your friends know about it and how to find it. Because my goal is to inspire you to make this life count, live a no regrets life, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day and make this life count.